And let's say this out loud. This is my Bible. It is God speaking to me. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. So I open my heart today to hear God speak a word that will change my life forever. Open up in your Bible with me to, let's start in, uh, you just go to Romans somewhere. Just get in Romans. We'll get there in a minute. We're talking about God's desire for your family. God wants your whole family saved. We started two weeks ago just laying that out, that, that the Lord doesn't just look at you and say, I want you individually, but he wants you and your whole family to know him. And you are an open door to your family, of course, for any generations to come, but also for all generations around you that you're attached to, those who profess Jesus now, as well as those who want nothing to do with him. God looks at you and says, you are my open door to all those people as well. And he wants them saved. When in Acts chapter 16, Paul's talking to the Philippian jailer, and the guy says, what do I have to do to be saved? Paul looks at him, he says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, and your whole household. So Paul doesn't just look at him and say, yeah, God just wants you, but he looks at him and he says, and, and your whole household, God, this isn't just for you, this is for everybody in your house. When you guys believe, then, then God will save your whole household, everybody. And, and that's important because many of us come from an environment like me to where I was the only one to serve Jesus. I grew up until I was 17 years old, and my family never brought me to church. They never talked to me about Jesus. They never, they never told me about you know, how, how to serve God. So when I was 17, I, that's when I came to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Well, for the past six years, you know, now that I'm 23 years old, no, for the past uh, 25-ish years or so, uh, I've been still the only one to serve Jesus in my life. Uh, family with my you know, mom, dad, and brother, and so forth. Uh, however, I knew that God wanted to change things for generations to come. So my kids, we raise them up in the way of the Lord. We bring them up at, at going to church. We live it at home. We talk to them about Jesus. We, we share with them why we do what we do. Why do we move across country to serve the Lord? Why do we not do some things? Why do we do others? We share those things with them. And I believe that the patterns that I experienced in my life when Jesus saved me, he broke those patterns or those curses, those ungodly traits. He broke those from the generations to come. And so my kids, uh, you know, they, won't, they don't start from the same place I started from. They're starting up here. And so what is maybe a ceiling to me, may that become their floor, right? And so however far I get, may they just launch way past that. I know that. And the same is true for you, for those who would have kids. However, uh, God wants not just those who come after. He wants us all saved. Now, many of us may come from a situation where you do have family members. The whole family is serving the Lord. And thank God for that. That's what he wants. He wants that. Others of us, it's like here, little, there, little, everywhere, little, little, but, but not all of them, right? And, and so uh, maybe there are people in your family who have gone to church in the past and believed at some point, but they're not serving the Lord today. There are some who, you know, they're good people, but they are just haven't embraced Jesus personally. Either way, it doesn't matter. God wants your whole family saved. And we find ourselves in that situation, right? And we want to serve God. And maybe, maybe uh, you're trying to serve the Lord, but then when you get back together with your family, you don't know 
what to say to them. You, it's kind of awkward. I know this, uh, like with my parents and trying to share the, my faith with them, there's kind of like that whole, like, I changed your diaper boy thing. You're like, like you're going to tell me that I need to know something that you know when you're 17 years old? Like, you don't know, even know anything yet, right? You're 17, you don't know anything yet. And you haven't experienced any bit of life. And so, but even though I'm older, I have four kids, I'm, you know, grown on my own, and they have seen the faithfulness of God, there's still a little bit of awkwardness in talking to my family. I don't know if it's like that for you in talking to unsaved family members, but it's kind of like that for me. And, uh, and so I've had to pray and look for opportunities and initiate conversation and uh, try to find different ways to get in. Because with your family, we all fit into certain roles. You have the one who is an enabler. You have the one who's dependent, the codependent. You have all these different people. You have the one who complains, the one who goes passive. You know, everyone fits in roles. And then Jesus saves you. But when you get back together with family, there's kind of a gravity towards those old roles. And the Lord wants to turn all that around and pull you out. And so that you can, you can be an influence and a light in your family and see some change take place. God loves your family, and he wants your whole family saved. Those before you, those who are coming after you, he wants them all to be saved. That's a good place for an amen. Say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And you declare that over your whole family. As for me, and not just those in my house, but my whole family, we will serve the Lord. When Joshua was speaking that in the book of Joshua, that's because multiple generations would live together. And so that might not be as common here, but the reality is God is looking for multiple generations to be serving him all at the same time. And so as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, I want to talk to you about two things this morning. One is uh, about speaking. What do, what do we say? First of all, you may have heard this saying, uh, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Well, what, what's really being communicated there? What people hear doesn't always create the impact compared to what they see. Or if they hear something, but they see something different and there's an inconsistency, it doesn't land quite as well. In other words, live the gospel out so that people can see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And so we talked about this last week when we, we talked about what you can do to see your family saved. But I, I don't want you to think that it's only our actions that will then lead somebody to faith. In fact, quite the opposite is true. Your actions will help to prepare the ground, but actions alone don't bring faith. It might confirm the words you've spoken. It might confirm truth, but it doesn't all of a sudden bring faith into somebody's heart. And so this is what I want to tell you. Yes, let your actions speak loud, but let your words speak as well. Let me tell, show you this from the scripture, because this is important. The reason why it's important is that uh, Jesus, if it was just our good works and being good and, and doing the right thing, he would have told us, this is what you need to do. Just go be good and people will get saved. However, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, preach the good news to every creature. 
Those who believe and are baptized will be saved. Notice he didn't say, go into all the world and be good, <laughs> right? He said, preach, proclaim something. Look at it with me at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. And I'm going to go through several scriptures. You may want to write these down because you need to know this if you want to see your family saved. First of all, Ephesians 2, 8 says, by grace you have been saved through faith. Then Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So how does faith come? By hearing, right. It's open screen test. And it's by, by, uh, faith, by grace through faith that we get saved. So faith needs to happen in our hearts, right? We need, to, we need faith to come alive. The way for faith to come alive in our hearts is through hearing the word of God. You see, it's not just your good works or your encouraging sayings that will transform somebody's life. You know what has power to change situations? The Word of God. Even positive thinking is not enough. I don't believe in negative thinking, but I don't believe that positive thinking is enough. It is the Word of God that is powerful. If you look at 1 Peter 1.23, Peter said this, You have been born again, not from a seed that can be destroyed, but through God's everlasting Word that can't be destroyed. You see, God's word is powerful. God's word never returns empty-handed to God. When God's word goes out, there's something about God's word that, that is incorruptible. It's powerful. If you want to see your family saved, they need to hear the word of God. And I know that sometimes people will want to uh, back off from either sharing it or hearing it. But there is no other way for somebody to get saved apart from hearing the gospel, somehow it being communicated to them. The words of faith need to be proclaimed or spoken to them. This is so important that, that Satan's number one assignment is to steal the word of God from people before it can get implanted in their heart. Jesus gave a parable in Luke chapter 8 when he said the sower, he goes out and sows the seed, and the birds of the air, they come, and immediately they, they eat the seed before it can take root and grow up. And Jesus explained it like this in verse 11 and 12. He said, the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those who are by the wayside are the ones who hear, then the devil comes and takes away, what's he take away? Open screen test takes away the word, right, out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. He's always trying to steal the word. And if it's not just trying to remove what has been spoken, he's trying to get you to not speak it at all. That's why it's so important. Yes, preach the gospel at all times. And if necessary, use words. Let me tell you something. It's necessary. It's necessary. So it's not a question of if we should speak, but it is important to know how we speak. Because you can think that your assignment is to irritate somebody into salvation, but that's not true. Your assignment is to preach the word and beat them over the head with the Bible till they get saved, but that's not true either. There is a, there is a, um, a, a way that the Lord will use you that is gracious and kind and firm to bring the word of God to your family members. Now, I want to I look at something real quick before we back up. In the Old Testament, 
when God was talking to the children of Israel, he said, hey, guys, basically, if this thing's going to last, it's got to go from generation to generation. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 11, he tells them this. He says, therefore, you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them on a, as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children speaking of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. What should you do? All times. Man, when you get up in the morning, you're brushing your teeth, talk about the word. When you're getting, going to school, you're taking them to school, talk about God's word. When you're coming home, you sit down for dinner, give God thanks, talk about who the Lord is. And then he goes on to say this, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, like the days of the heavens above the earth. What he's saying is, man, you decorate your house, you put the word of God up so they can see it. You, 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 know, you get your whatever you believe in your heart, you put it on a t-shirt, you wear it around the house, you put it on the doorpost, like everywhere. We want our kids, you want your kids to see the word of God. This is why it's so, I, I believe this is so strategic of the enemy to remove the Ten Commandments from places like our courthouses and our schools. And you may think, oh, it's just words on paper. No, no, no. There's something about the visually being able to see the word of God that uh, connects with something in the heart of the believer and the unbeliever as well. It's strategic. Satan wants to remove the word from the hearts so then people can live as if there is no right and wrong, as if there is no law. And so he's telling the, the fathers, the parents here, no, you do everything you can to get my word across to this next generation. They took it so seriously that they designed their clothes to where they would have little pieces of clothing, whether it, it literally was something that hangs down from their, in front of their face or on their wrists, to where it reminds them of the word of God. In front of most Jewish people's home, especially in Israel, when you right at the doorpost, right by the, the door you go into, you'll see this little, looks like a vial, at an angle like this, and inside of that thing is a little scroll with scripture on it. And they literally put it at the doorpost of their house. So the kids would walk by and say, what does that say, Dad? What is that thing doing there? Oh, that's, that's the, the word of God that says, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You know, you worship the Lord, and they go on and explain these things to them. You want a, your family to be saved, you've got to get the word across to them somehow and by any means necessary, not in an annoying way, not in an irritating way, not in, uh, you know, I'm going to shove it down your throat, but man, in my car, we listen to Christian music. Hey, at my house, I listen to preaching. On Sundays, this is where I go. And so your family sees that example and you invite them into environments to where they can be part of that. Now, it's different with kids versus mom and dad, you know, with your aunts and uncles, with your cousins, but you've got to find ways to somehow, in a loving, gracious way, get the word across. Because telling them, hey, you just need to get saved may not be effective, <laughs> but somehow God will use you to share his word and plant it like seed, and you just keep sowing that word of God because it's incorruptible. The word of God is powerful. That'll get in somebody's heart like mine, like my dad's, who just over about a month ago prayed to open his heart up to Jesus. 
after 25 years. Amen? That right there is uh, the faithfulness of God who wants our whole family saved. Now, we live in a culture that doesn't exactly all embrace Christian truth, does it? Now, originally, much more of our nation did, not everybody, and we haven't always been a, a nation who follows the book. Many have, many haven't. Uh, but over time, it seems that there's been an erosion of a faith and a trust in God's Word, even from those who would still believe in God. Back in 2005, the University of North Carolina, they did a huge study among teenagers, especially uh, identifying those who believed in God and, and tried to kind of get an understanding of what their faith was about. Like, if I was to sum up what you believe, what would that look like? And this is what they found. They found five things that would, would uh, really, they identified as the core beliefs to their faith. Number one, God exists, and He is the one who created and orders the world and watches over human life on earth. Well, that's good, right? There's an awareness of God. There's a lot of people who believe that, that God is the one who got this started. The question is, but is this God a personal God? Is this God a triune God? Is this God the one who has revealed Himself through not only nature, that there is a God but through Scripture, through prophets, through His Son, Jesus. That's where they start to say, I don't know about all that, like if that's true. Number two, God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible and by most other religions. This is those, many of whom would say, yeah, I'm probably a Christian. Like this is what Christians believe, right? Number three, the central goal of life is to be happy, and to feel good about oneself. This is what the goal is. And, and, and how many of you as, as parents, when you ask, what do you want for your kids? Man, I really want my kids just to be happy. I don't care about what kind of job they have or you know, even as much as who they marry. I care about those things, but who they marry. But ultimately, I want them to be happy. Well, that somehow has been communicated down into what our faith is all about as well. God just wants you to be happy. Number four is God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. In other words, God is there when I need him. I know I can pray and he answers me and he'll help me out of this, but I don't have to live my life surrendered to him to seek after what his will is and follow it. That whole issue of obedience to who, to what? How, does he, how do we really know that obedience to this so there is an acknowledgement that we won't need to be good. We can talk to God. He's there to help us. But the lordship issue, oh, well, you know, that's kind of standoff. Number five, good people go to heaven when they die. Good people go to heaven when they die. Well, where do bad people go? I, I, don't, I don't know about bad people. I mean, most people are good. Good people go to heaven when they die. That sums up the religion of so many people in America today inside and outside of the church. Maybe you have family members who kind of approach God that way as well. You know, it, it, they describe this and they used three words, therapeutic, moralistic deism. Therapeutic, moralistic deism. Deism means I'm, I believe God exists. I believe God exists. Yeah, God is there. Therapeutic, and he makes me feel good. And moralistic, let's just be good people. 
God will make you feel good and you just be good. That is, sums up the religion of many people. Now you can take that to the next step, which goes to there is no God and then ultimately atheism and so forth. But this is something that we're dealing with when we're talking to people and we want to share the gospel with them. Here's the implications of that. Here's, here's the result of that. If many people, family members that you might have, believe there's a God, but yet you don't see them living their life for the Lord, chances are they fall into that category. There are others who would even back away and say, I don't even know if there is a God. And so what do you do in situations like this? How do you walk them through Scripture? How would you even not telling them that it's Scripture? Because by the way, you don't have to quote chapter and verse when you're speaking the Word of God. Hey, Brenda, I just want to tell you, Romans chapter 1 says, and then Romans 3, and then Romans 5, and let's look at Romans 6 and 8, and then let's get to Romans 10. You don't have to say those words to say the word. You can still slip that in there, but because so many people don't even recognize or the authority of the word of God. So we see this here that we have family that some are saved, some aren't, some believe, some don't, some kind of believe. Some don't. Some just completely reject. And that if they're going to be saved, they've got to hear the gospel. Let me walk you through a little bit of of what you can say to help somebody who uh, needs to know Jesus. Uh, First of all, this, God has revealed himself in nature. In Romans chapter 1, verse 20, it says, "First, ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. This is something that's called general revelation. It means this. You can look around in all creation and you can see, you know what? I don't think this got here by chance. Others may try to explain it that way, but the scripture is even telling us, look around you. It's evident that in creation, there's a creator. There's design, there's order, there's purpose. There's something there. And, and that right there should pique the interest of just about anybody to think, hmm, there might be more. But then it, we take it to the next step of not only is there something out here that God has used to reveal himself, which you can use in your conversation about creation, but there's also something inside here that he has put In fact, the Bible says that eternity has been written on the hearts of men and women. C.S. Lewis calls it this. He says, it's the law of human nature. Not like, you know, it's human nature to have instincts and so forth. But he said, no, there's something on the inside of every one of us that tells us what we ought to do and also shows us that we don't do it. And this comes whether you grew up in a Christian environment or not. It is not something that is required to be passed down through your culture. It is something that is on the inside of everybody. Even someone who does not acknowledge God or believe in God at all, if they jump on the the bus and they don't pay their fare, something on the inside of them says, I got away with something. What is that? What's telling them that? And if you call them out on that and, and, and you say, hey, that was wrong, how would they respond? No, it wasn't wrong. No, they wouldn't say that. They'd say, well, you know, I, I, just, I don't have any money. Or they make up excuses for it. They excuse their action because they know inwardly something is wrong. This is the law of God, as Romans 2.14 says, Gentiles, those who don't know God or have God's written law, they show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it 
even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written on their hearts. Their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. And so when you're talking to some family members and and age appropriate or whatever it is, you can identify some things, even for those who say, I don't believe, hey, but you know, there's something on the inside that tells you there's more, right? There's something on the inside that tells you there's a right and wrong, right? Yeah. Well, where do you think that came from? You know, it's not just there by chance. And it didn't just come from your mom and dad. It's sort of like morals are, are, are not like, you know, morals are not just cultural. There are th- cultures that embrace certain mo- morals. But ethics or morals, they're right or they're wrong regardless of the culture, whether they embrace them or not. It's like mathematics. We didn't discover math. Math existed, in other words. Like, like we didn't make up math and say, okay, this is math. Two plus two equals four. And if someone else would have made it up, it would have been two plus two equals six. No, no, no. Math is math. And that's like the law of God. The law of God is the law of God, whether you embrace it or not, whether you recognize it or not. It is true. And the word of God is like that as well. And so you can just start to help somebody identify where they're at and see some of these things. But we don't point the finger at people and say, yeah, and you're wrong and you're bad. We just start to identify, help them identify what, is, what it is and what's going on. Now, sometimes you have to start way back with the story of Adam and Eve, because we live in a culture that is so biblically illiterate and that doesn't even, we're not even aware of it or we don't embrace it. Because then some people would say, if God is so good, why are all these tragedies happening in the world? Why are there, there those orphans? Why are people starving? Why are these things happening? And so we've got to go back. In Romans chapter 5, and I'm primarily in Romans, Romans 5, 12, it says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. You see, when you're explaining something to somebody, give them the answers from the Bible. You know, the reason why the world's like this and people are like that, it isn't because God abandoned us. It's because people abandoned God. And as a result, over the centuries, man's hearts become more and more corrupt. And this is important because then it can help people see their own hearts have become corrupt. In fact, if you continue in Romans in chapter 3, it says, uh, verse 23, everyone has sinned. All, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. And in verse 10, it says, no one is righteous, not even one. So we're not just saying, I'm good, you're bad, you need to get saved. But we're all in the same boat together. The sin of Adam has affected every person since then that's been born to a mom and dad. It's been passed on. And it's so important for people to recognize this because then when you get to the good news, the good news is only good news if they first understand bad news. You can tell somebody, hey, you need to repent and receive forgiveness. And they look at you, for what? Like, I didn't break any laws. I'm not a bad person. And if you don't believe that God is intimately involved in creation, if you don't believe that God will judge the world according to his word, if you don't believe that sin entered and affected both nature and man, then there is no fallen nature and there is no need for redemption. There is no need for salvation. There is no need for repentance and no need for forgiveness. 
And so this is why it's so important to be biblically literate, because you can't embrace and receive the good news unless you recognize, acknowledge, admit the bad news. If I tell you, oh man, in about three hours, you're going to have surgery and they're going to cut your liver out. You look at me and think, that's bad news. But not if your doctor told you, you have three days to live because your liver is failing. And uh, if you don't get that replaced, then, then you're going to die. And all, now all of a sudden, you know this surgery that's happening in three hours is because they found a donor with a good liver that they're going to do a transplant. And so, yeah, it might sound like bad news at first, but actually it's good news. The other stuff's the bad news. The bad news is you're dying. The good news is we're going to save you, right? And so if you just come and tell your family members, your loved ones, your friends, hey, Jesus loves you and he's going to save you, and they don't think that they need to be saved, that's why it's so important to go back to, hey, you know what? All of us have sinned. God, that thing on the inside of you, that actually comes from the Lord, and there's more to it. And we have violated that. And because of that, judgment is coming. In fact, it goes on to say in Romans, it says, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. The penalty for, for breaking and violating those things, even the smallest, is death. And not just physical death, but eternity separated from God. Eternity in hell. However, the good news is that the gift of God, the free gift of God, is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, you have these scriptures in the process that you can walk people through. This is what Paul is walking people through. He's helping to identify God has revealed himself in nature. God has revealed himself in your heart. But he's also revealed himself through prophets that have spoken. He's revealed himself through scripture and the law. He ultimately has revealed himself through coming and putting on flesh, Jesus, the Son of God, who went to the cross. And that's a similar process that we can use, because then we can move right over to Romans chapter 5. And I don't think we have this on the, on the screen, but you can open your Bibles in church. It's okay. And um, verse 8, we get there, it says, well, let's back up. It says, verse 6, for when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's me. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare die. Verse 8, it's the best here. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, you can walk through this process with somebody, and you may not get it all in one setting, but this is ultimately where we're going with it. And you begin to, to see how faithful God is. Look in, in Romans chapter 2, verse 4 on the screen. It says, Do you see, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you away from your sin? You can point to the faithfulness of God. This is what my, uh, I call her my Mexican mama, because she's Mexican and she was like my mom. And so, and she would always teach me how to eat good Mexican food growing up. She's the one who led my dad to the Lord. And, um, and she's also the one who led me, led me, not personally to pray with me at first, but led me uh, uh, into the things of the Lord. And so she was talking to my dad, and he was talking about how bad things are. And she began to talk about the goodness of God and the kindness of the Lord. And look at the faithfulness of God. And, and the kindness and faithfulness of the Lord 
and, and identifying that in his life, even though he didn't see it all, it started to open up his heart and it led him to repentance. And so, by the way, when I'm talking about, you know, sin, 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 I'm not just talking about, yeah, you know, but man, look at God's goodness to you. Despite all of this, you know, in spite of all of that here, he still is after you and loves you and cares for you. And he's faithful and he's taking care of you. And even though, hey, you might say you don't believe and haven't believed, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't believe in you and that he doesn't love you. And you can't change that. So you just share these things. And you want to get them to a point where, uh, lead them to a place where actually you give them an opportunity to respond. You give them an opportunity to respond. And that's where in Romans chapter 10, you, can, you, you see this verse here. How, what do I do? What do I do? Well, Romans chapter 10, verse, let's look at 8. It says, what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach, not the good deeds, which we show, though those need to accompany. But we need to preach this word of faith that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. You want to lead people to a point of, hey, do you believe that? Do you acknowledge that? Do you, do you know that if, if, do you believe in your heart? You know, we, I didn't even talk about the whole thing of Jesus actually coming and dying on the cross. I only have so many minutes with you. Um, dying on the cross and being raised from the dead. But his, his solution, you know, Romans 5.8, his solution was Jesus dying on the cross. Do you believe that? Do you believe that there's some things that you've probably broken God's law? Well, yeah. Okay. If you lie, what does that make you? A liar, right? You know, you can just go through them. But, but listen, grace is available. And if you believe in your heart, and you confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Jesus, you're Lord of my life. Not just that you exist out there, but you're Lord. You're, I want to surrender control to you. I believe in my heart that you died on that cross, paid for my sins, rose from the dead. I believe that. I'm going to open up my life to you right now, and I'm going to place my faith in you. The Bible says you'll be saved. And it doesn't stop there you back right up to Romans chapter 8. It says this in verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. You know all those things that we talked about? All those times you violated the word of God on the inside and, and broken, you know, you might have thought it was just your conscience, but really it's just the, the law of God written on your heart. You know he doesn't condemn you anymore. He doesn't hold that against you. He looks at you just like he looks at Jesus. You see, we can hope our family gets saved. We can pray, and next week we will, we will talk about what to pray. But they have to hear the gospel. And we have to be equipped and ready to share it and not just say, hey, you know, you just need to get your life right with God and, and stop dating that girl and... Uh, Stop smoking that stuff and don't kick the dog, you know, like, and let's pray that God just reveals himself to you. Like, I don't know. No, we need to understand the gospel and we need to be able to communicate it. And this starts, of course, with kids, but sometimes that day, that day is gone. Kids are way past that. Maybe they're grown up adults. 
Maybe it is the cousin, the aunt, the uncle, the mom, the dad, your spouse. God wants them all. And you, I want to equip you with the gospel. What I can't do is tell you exactly how to get into that conversation and exactly what to say when. That's the job of the Holy Spirit who empowers you, gives you the boldness to be a witness. And that's where a real relationship with Jesus is so important. And, and here's the other thing. You may never be the one to fully share the gospel with them. You may never have that opportunity to where you lead them to Jesus. But it doesn't mean that God won't equip somebody else to come right along the side. That's what happened in my situation. And um, I'm telling you right now, God will do it for your family, and he'll also use you to do it for someone else's. And so let's just be open to that right now, can we? I want to pray with you. And, and how many of you guys feel like you got a little better understanding from the scripture and maybe some things? Some of you guys might be thinking, what were all the scriptures? I want to write them down. Get the podcast. Um, <laughs> Lord Jesus, we love you. We bless you. Lord, I know that it, it, it's heavy on our hearts when we see family members who don't know you. Lord, we want them all to be saved. And, and you do even more. Do whatever it takes. Give us the words to say, send someone else across their path to preach the gospel. In the name of Jesus, I, 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 I deputize all these congregation members right here to be preachers of the gospel. In the name of Jesus, I appoint you to proclaim, to share in conversation. You don't have to preach it, but be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Be bold, be confident. Share the gospel with young and old, those who you're close to, those who are far away. God, if there's anyone who needs relationships restored so that they can have this conversation, do that. Let forgiveness flow in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. 